Welcome to the Fantasy End Podcast, where we share our love for all things fantasy and discuss the broader speculative fiction industry. Welcome to the Fantasy End. Welcome to the Fantasy End Podcast. This is a special episode, and it's actually part two of a series uh, we're collaborating with The Legendarium. So today I have with us Craig from The Legendarium Podcast. How's it going, Craig? Excellently. Thank you very much. Uh, Super happy to be here, honestly. Yeah, glad to have you. Glad we can make this work out. It was, I, I know it was a bit of a chore, honestly, Travis. It was, I was not the most accommodating or uh, conscientious of potential guests, uh, but I I am so glad we finally made it happen. And uh, ju- I'm just sorry it took so long. Yeah, honestly, uh, you might be surprised, but it's probably about the average length of time for me booking someone. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel your pain. That's why I just have a rotating panel of uh, of regulars. Yep. Yep. That That's what we normally do uh, alternating. So we have a panel of regulars and then whoever we really want to talk to, even if they're in uh, unconventional time zones for us to record in. <laughs> no doubt. Well, anyways, if you're into fantasy podcasts enough that you're listening to this or uh, you're following on from part one of this series of episodes, uh, you've probably already heard of the Legendarium. Craig's been podcasting about fantasy for, wow, I guess over six years now. Correct. Yeah. Wow. If you ever find yourself finishing a book and just wanting to discuss it with someone, the folks over at the Legendarium have you covered with deep dives and friendly banter, uh, mostly friendly, (laughs) on uh, most of the major names in fantasy. (laughs) And let's, honestly, let's set some expectations here. Deep dives is, uh, that's a very generous way of putting it. Well, if you talk for long enough, it's a deep dive, right? (laughs) I suppose so. Anyways, so the theme of this episode is part two, talking about entry points into fantasy or speculative fiction, as Craig is fond of calling it. I am. I it's um I, I like that term as much as I like the term literary fiction. That's fair. And so anyways, uh, I guess uh, we talked about on the Legendarium podcast books that hooked Craig and myself on the fantasy genre or science fiction, speculative fiction, horror, whatever you want to call it. And now we're going to be talking about what we think would be good entry points for others. So whether you are a fantasy newbie and haven't read a lot of what's out there, uh, not that I think there's a fantasy canon you have to read, but if you're new to the genre or if you're experienced in other genres and are maybe wanting to dip your toes into fantasy for the first time. So that's what we will be discussing. Indeed. I, now, man, all right. Do I have to pick a nit right up front? I'm, I'm going to pick a bone with you, Travis. Let's um, do it. So I might quibble with the idea that there isn't a, a canon that you have to read. Now, all right, we're doing this. Okay. All right. I, here's what I don't mean. I don't mean that everybody in the world who wants to pick up a fantasy book has to read certain books. But if you want to say that I am I am well read in fantasy or I'm a fantasy fan, I think there are some titles that are requirements, not many, but some. What what do you think of that? Maybe. I I think at a certain point a lot of what's generally considered fantasy canon came out around the same time as in a similar style 
And if that doesn't mesh with you personally, you're going to be miserable trying to just say you're a well-read fantasy fan. Sure, sure. So in that sense, I don't think it's necessary. Now, more than welcome to at least try some of those fantasy books, but I know it's only been in the last year or so that I've gotten comfortable with even at all DNFing or quitting a book before I reach the end if it's not jiving with me. DNFing? Yes. Uh, so did not finish, do uh, not finish, uh, however you define that, probably comes from the fact that I'm in a lot of book blogging circles. So that's generally what we throw around if we stop reading a book before we reach the end. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, you know, like I said, I, I don't think that there are many books that I would say you have to read, but there are some, and, and I'm just going to throw out there uh Maybe three. I, I could think of others, but this is just right off the top of my head. The Lord of the Rings. You have okay. to read it. Uh, Ender's Game. Okay. And The Name of the Wind. Okay. And if you like, if if you haven't read all three of those, then you don't have a foundation for kind of it. Now, Ender's Game is different because it's it's sci-fi, right? It's not um, it's not fantasy in the way that um, that the others are but it's still representative of a time in uh, genre fiction, we could, might call it. Uh, so the Lord of the Rings is the, it's the base upon all, which all of this stuff is built. Um, and then Ender's Game is the er sci-fi novel. I mean, if you're not counting Dune, um, but it's the, it's the sci-fi novel that's kind of like a, a rite of passage for teenagers uh, that, you know, you just have to read that book. Um, and it also is really representative of a type of writing that was popular in the 80s. And then similarly, the uh, the name of the wind is kind of it. And this is, is not to say that it is my absolute favorite book, but it is kind of the ultimate representative of um, fantasy literature in the 21st century so far. I guess uh, I need to ask you to clarify on that. So what do you mean by the ultimate representation? So this is the book that um, that most succinctly, and, and so part of the tricky thing with The Name of the Wind is that it is supposedly going to be three books. So there are two out, but I'm speaking specifically of that first one that it has, um, it, it's, as long as we're talking about entry points, right? This is a book that straddles a few different worlds. Most fantasy um, is going to be pretty utilitarian with its prose and with its themes and with its characters, where The Name of the Wind goes a step or two further in all those areas. Um, But it still has a lot of what we expect from fantasy in terms of magic and magic systems and world building and um, uh, mystery and mythology and all of those things that we do expect, but it has that kind of bridge to other, um, uh, what am I trying to say, more hoity genres (laughs) that, uh, does that make sense? Where it's, um, it, it really is a fantastically written book that could appeal to someone who isn't um, a, a dyed-in-the-wool fantasy reader. I, I can see that. Uh, although I do think some of the points you make kind of benefit from it not being your entry point. May, maybe one of your core books to read, but as an entry point, you benefit from noticing how it 
differentiates itself from what came before. You maybe, maybe you you may be onto something there. That being said, it's one of the books that I have recommended to friends who are looking for an entry point into fantasy. So, if um, would you say that it can be as enjoyable if you're not well read in fantasy, or would you say it's just perfectly enjoyable if this is your entry point? Um, I would say it's probably perfectly enjoyable if it's your entry point. I think. It's a well-written story. It plays with tropes somewhat, but it also uh, hits some of the established coming-of-age, uh, like hero rises in power, building up to something epic that you know a lot of us will expect as sort of the archetypal fantasy. So I, I don't know. I think it can definitely work as an entry point. Yeah, yeah. I think the I I find it really quite tropey and i say that lovingly i say that in a good way it has all it hits all the notes that i want a fantasy book to hit the only thing that i feel like it truly turned on its head was in making the main character an absolute jerk um i really really hate both he is <laughs> he is just a, a well words i'm probably not gonna say on this podcast but um yeah, so that's that's the only thing where I, I tend to like my protagonists and root for them for the most part. Um, but Quoth, I, I, and I say this as someone who really likes the book, I hate Quoth. I hate him. See, that that's interesting to me because typically my experience with people reading The Name of the Wind is they either love it and they also like Quoth or they hate Quoth and so they hate the book. Uh, yeah, that, I mean, I guess so. Um, I guess it's just not a requirement for me to like my main character. Huh. That, that's interesting. I, I can get behind that for genres where that's expected. And I know uh, Name of the Wind plays with that with they're building him up to be an unreliable narrator. How much can you really believe what he's telling you? But I guess, have you read much? This is a tangent and not really talking about entry points but have you read uh much in the grimdark subgenre yeah not a ton i've dipped my toes in and i intend to get more into it later this year but uh what do you have in mind uh well talking about the genre as a whole there's very few protagonists that i've actually liked i typically ah. hate most of them and i kind of associate that as part of the point of the genre interesting uh, well, that's that'll be. I guess now I've put on record that I don't have to have a protagonist that I like, so I better uh, better hold to that when I start reading more grimdark. <laughs> well, I think it also depends on why you dislike a protagonist as well. I know well, grimdark can definitely be over the top in certain aspects that uh, I can definitely understand not liking the story in general, regardless of the character. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. So should we talk about some entry points, some actual legit entry points? Sure. And uh, since uh, this is on the Fantasy End podcast and I have totally prepared so many in advance, uh, how about you start first as the guest? <laughs> no problem. This is one that I have brought up on our show before, uh, but I feel okay bringing it up again since uh, this isn't my show. So maybe a few people <laughs> haven't heard this. Um the one that I would recommend, and I'm holding it, uh, there it is, holding it here in my hands, is a Terry Brooks book. And a lot of people would expect me to say The Sword of Shannara or The Elfstones of Shannara. I am not going to say that. I'm going to say Magic Kingdom for Sale Sold. Have you heard of this one? I have not. 
It is uh, okay. So it was published in 1986, um, and Terry Brooks had already become uh, relatively famous with his Shannara series, at least within fantasy circles. That that series was huge. Um, and then he came out with this book. It's uh, now has six books in the series. For a long time, it was just five. Um, just, just, it was just five. But <laughs> it's uh, this first one. It's called Magic Kingdom for Sales Sold. It's only about 300 pages in hardback. Um, and so it's it's a relatively slim volume for the fantasy genre, which is a point in its favor. Um, so that's, you know, in that category, you don't want to hand somebody a giant doorstopper and say, you know, here's here's the 14 volumes of The Wheel of Time. Have fun. Um, so you want to give somebody something relatively slim. And the other thing that I like about this is that uh, it blends the real world with your typical fantasy kingdom really, really effectively. So I'll just give you the conceit of this book really quickly. Uh, there's a, a lawyer in Chicago, Ben Holiday, and he is his wife has died. He's dissatisfied with his life. He's uh, nearly suicidal. He has nothing left to live for. And he sees an ad. He's drunk one night and he sees an ad in a catalog, a Christmas catalog for a magic kingdom that you can buy it for a million dollars. And it's in this really well-respected uh, uh, catalog. And so he thinks to himself like this, well, what is this doing here? This is obviously ridiculous, but he's drunk. So he goes for it. He calls him up and, uh, you know, says, all right, fine. I'll buy a magic kingdom. I don't care. Uh, and it turns out that it's real. And he crosses over through this portal into a fantasy realm complete with all the nymphs and kobolds and elves and everything that you would expect. And he has purchased the throne. So he's the king of it all. Uh, and when he gets there, he finds out that uh, everyone there basically wants to kill him. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and so he has to navigate this world. And uh, so it, this is a great entry point in my mind uh, because it is fun. It's, it, it does get dark at points um, and, and kind of intense at points. They're demons and hell, basically. Uh, but it ultimately is a really fun fantasy story and it it guides you gently into it because you start with this lawyer, right? He's the Chicago lawyer. Even if that's not your experience, these are at least familiar types of things. Um, you know, Christmas catalogs and uh, he's he's drinking a Glenlivet and, you know, things that exist in the real world. And then it kind of slowly introduces you to all these fantasy tropes as you go in. And so by the time you get to the end of it, you'll probably be sucked in by the story itself. Um, and even if you're not, you'll at least have a good idea of whether you enjoy kind of the fantasy trappings, if that makes sense. Okay. So there you go. That's my pitch. Is it overly comedic because i kind of got that impression from the title or is it more like straightforward fantasy there definitely are comedic parts there um he so like i said he purchases the kingship to this magic kingdom and uh, when he gets there all the only attendants that he has are uh, an inept wizard and a scribe who has been turned into a dog He's a giant talking dog. Uh, <laughs> and they're kind of your R2-D2 and C-3PO. They are. Okay. They do provide comic relief. There are funny moments in the book, but it's not It's not like... This, this isn't Terry Pratchett, right? This isn't a comedy book, per se. 
Okay. Yeah, that I had not heard of that, but I'm intrigued. Highly recommend it, even if it's not an entry point. I, you know, I recommend this to just about everybody, so I think you should go check it out. Yeah, okay. Well, let's see. Uh, I've had just enough time to think up of uh, a recommendation from my end. Okay. So uh, I'll actually split it into two. So part one, I'll say Mistborn by Brandon Sanderson. Yep. Mostly because it was my re-entry into fantasy, so I'm kind of nostalgic for it, As which, wow, it's been nearly 15 years since it came out. But I'll say it's an entry point that can work as a standalone story. It's also the first in an established trilogy, so it kind of gives you that typical fantasy trilogy sense as well. And there's a lot more. It's an entry point into a connected universe of stories across eventually, what, 40 or 50 some odd books. And if you want to talk about fantasy with someone, if you're just entering into the genre, odds are that most people are familiar with the name Brandon Sanderson. So you kind of have that inbuilt sense of community. Ah, nice. Uh, my recommendation was Missing Net. Nobody's Nobody talks about this book anymore. So yeah, that's something. <laughs> and, and then I guess on the other hand, uh, similar name recommendation, although I don't know if I would put him quite at the same giant level in the genre that uh, Brandon Sanderson is, but The Lies of Locke Lamora by Scott Lynch. Oh, uh, sweet and that's... mother. <laughs> I'm guessing book. you've read the story then. Yeah. Yeah, so for me... I think that that's an effective introduction for someone who, again, you can have it as a one-off standalone, and it also has extremely strong characters, extremely strong dialogue, and a world that sucks you in without being over-the-top fantasy. I think you're halfway or so into the story before you even know for sure that magic exists. So I think between the two of those, those would be kind of my casual recommendations if I was trying to get someone into fantasy and I knew literally nothing else about their preferences. The one caveat I would put to that is um, if you are talking to somebody who you suspect might not appreciate strong language in their book, do not hand them Scott Lynch. <laughs> yes, which which is an important caveat and probably segues into the fact that for me at least, most recommendations that I would give someone as an entry point into the genre are going to be somewhat tailored to the person. So yes, there are definitely people I would not give uh, anything by Scott Lynch to because his mastery of the language is very colorful. Oh yeah, no, I, that, that is a fair statement. Um, oh man, Lies of Locke Lamora is so good. Um, I, To be honest, it, it has been somewhat uh tarnished in my mind by the uh, second and third books which to be fair are good books but they are a step down from the masterpiece that is the first one and so it's uh so that i i don't think of that book as often as i should in a context like this because my mind immediately goes to the second and third books and i'm like well yeah but then you have to read those and that's not as hmm. fun that, that That's interesting to me because I guess I normally think of kind of the first book as its own standalone thing because it works, in my opinion, so perfectly as a standalone. Yep. Uh, but also, I'm one of the people apparently in the minority that actually genuinely loved books two and three. Oh, wow. Okay. I, I quite liked book two for the most part. Um, it, it had its issues, but um, book three kind of, it, it really truly did disappoint me compared to the first one. 
But oh, well, that's a, a story for another day. And people can hear me <laughs> rant about that on our Scott Lynch episodes. Fair enough. All right. I know uh, before we started recording, you mentioned you had a whole stack of books with you. So what's next? Oh, my gosh. Uh, OK, so I'm going to that the Magic Kingdom for Sale book is one that I would recommend to someone who isn't a child, right? Maybe they're in their late teens or they're in their early adulthood and they're like, what's this fantasy thing all about? What do you got for me? I might hand them that one. But if I'm talking to a kid, then uh, Dragonflight by Anne McCaffrey would be one. Um, or I'm, and this is going to sound a little bit too obvious, but if you are making a recommendation to somebody who is uh, 14 or younger, give them The Hobbit. Okay. Yep. I I would agree with that. Yeah. The Hobbit is the perfect entry point into fantasy for a kid. Uh, For an adult, I mean, I think it's obviously, I think it's great, but I mean, I read it when I was a kid, right? So I've kind of grown up with it. um, And so I I don't know if I can judge it that way, but I think as long as, um, as long as the kid is a strong reader, then The Hobbit is uh, just, just the perfect, uh, what am I trying to say? It's the, it's the Ur story. This is the story that, um, that encapsulates or inspires all others. It is literally titled there and back again. And so that's what everybody wants and gets from the vast majority of fantasy books is some type of journey, whether it's geographic or otherwise, um, where you go there and back again and what have you learned and what have you gained and all of that stuff. It's all in the Hobbit. So there you go. That's my recommendation for kids. All right. I guess my recommendation for kids maybe slightly older than a Hobbit recommendation age uh, would be the Redwall series by Brian Jakes. You beat me to it. <laughs> so I, I actually don't know if I have a particular book that I would recommend because there are so many good ones and they're not necessarily linear. Start at the first published one and read your way through. But it's it's a fantastic introduction to a lot of major fantasy tropes. You can have stories about an exile lord trying to reclaim their throne. You can have, you know, like a plucky thief trying to move up in life in the underworld. You can have kind of your classic hero's journey from your essentially farm boy to something like a renowned warrior. Uh, So it's got a little bit of everything, including far more singing and talk of food than anything that George R.R. Martin has ever written. (laughs) That is accurate. 100% accurate. And as a kid, I did not care. I ate up every last bit of it. Um, I I wouldn't have known what treacle was if it wasn't for the Redwall series. I wouldn't have known. Uh, I, I wouldn't have known that pudding was not just the thing that came out of the Jello box if it wasn't for <laughs> the Redwall series. Yeah, um, it, it really is a great series. Uh, what were you gonna say next? The the entry point that I would point people towards if it's if they're brand new, if, they, if it's a kid. You could give them Redwall, which is perfectly wonderful and magical. And it obviously it was the first book in the series. And so it's a good starting point. But Moss Flower is the prequel mm. to Redwall. And that's the one that I pulled off of my shelf uh, as an example. So Moss Flower is, uh, it has uh, some of the same characters, or it's the characters that people in Redwall look back on as legendary. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, absolutely just wonderfully fantastic if people don't know what redwall is it's 
first of all, I'm sorry. Uh, and second of all, it's, um, talking animals who live in a forest and battle each other for dominance. And it's awesome. Just awesome. Yeah, it, it really is hard to beat, especially if you're going into it at a younger age. I haven't read any as an adult. I'm kind of wondering if they would hold up now, but I suspect that at least some of them might. No, I think they do. Is Again, this is kind of what I, I think I mentioned this earlier. Oh, was that on this? <laughs> I can't remember which episode was which now. <laughs> Go listen to the Legendarium podcast, everybody. Um, but that this idea that there is no um, age ceiling if it's really good. And I assure you the Redwall series is good. Not every single entry is, you know, a masterpiece or something. Uh, but he was as successful as he was for a reason. These are magical books. Um, and, and they can be enjoyed at any age, especially if you did read them as a kid. Yes. Yep. I would agree with all of that. Um, all right. You want another one for, I'm kind of sticking with, uh, the younger generation here. Well, Um, how about actually I throw you for a loop a little bit. Okay. Yeah. What, what do we think in general makes a book a good entry book? Oh, oh gosh. Yeah. Oh, you're getting into philosophy now. I was not prepared for this. (laughs) Uh, what makes a good entry book? It has to be it can't be dependent on other things in the genre and it can't be overly intimidating by itself. Okay. I'm, so I'm I, sure. I would recommend gardens of the moon by Steven Erickson then Yeah, for your 12 year old. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, no, please don't give that to your 12 year old. Uh, so that's part of the reason that, um, you know, why I would not hand the eye of the world to, somebody who just kind of casually asked me, so, you know, what, what's a good fantasy book? Cause you hand them the eye of the world and they, they look at it and they, their eyes go all big and you're like, Oh yeah, it's 320,000 words or something like that. And, oh my gosh. What? Oh, that's such a big book. And you're like, Oh yeah, it's great. And there are 13 more just like it. Uh, you know, so you're not going to hand them that. And also you're not going to hand somebody something, like I said, that's dependent on knowing the genre and so, uh, oh, so The Way of Kings by Brandon Sanderson, not a good entry point to fantasy, even though it's a friggin' masterpiece, right? Uh, yeah. Because you, <clears throat> if you don't, if you're not immersed in, or at least familiar with the genre, the, the epic fantasy genre, then you might not know that in your typical 500-page fantasy book, your first 50 to 100 pages are going to be set up. Uh, and it's just going to be establishing your characters, the rules, the world that you're living in before you can even really start the story in a big way, typically. And The Way of Kings is, uh, what, 385,000 words. It's the first of a 10-book series. And so, oh, and it's also, by the way, three novels in one. And so it has 500 pages of that setup before the story really actually kicks in. Um, And so that, while I I love it, I just finished a reread of it. I absolutely adore the book. Uh, Terrible entry point for a new fantasy reader. What do you think? You mean entry point books shouldn't have three or four prologues? (laughs) Not to mention three or four protagonists. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I I would agree. And I think that also uh, just in general, I wouldn't, 
go to recommend any huge bricks that could like throw out your back just taking it off yourself. Uh, Whether you're talking about individual books or entire series lengths, I would tend to kind of lower the... uh, the bar for people getting in so it's not like a huge effort to try out the fantasy genre but also try to think of something that kind of encapsulates a little bit of the appeal of fantasy although okay tangent uh, i apologize but i think that in fantasy uh, if you strip away all of the speculative parts of the story it still has to be an incredible story and stand on its own so uh horrible analogy uh if i'm say the world's biggest seafood fan and i can tell you all the finer points about breeding shellfish uh is that even a thing i feel like it's probably a thing but <laughs> if i go to a restaurant like mcdonald's i am not going to order the fish sandwich right it's not just the right. trappings of the genre it's not just the type of food like it has to be good on its own um so i mean I, i've had conversations with people where they're like wait you don't like this book it's fantasy I'm like well just because I'm a fantasy fan doesn't mean I think that all fantasy is good because it's fantasy. Okay. Um, so, so long-winded way of saying that even if something has a really cool idea, I still uh-huh. feel like it has to like stand on its own and be a powerful enough story to hook someone who doesn't care about the cool idea. Um, okay. Okay. So let me follow this analogy a little bit. Um, if people are willing to hang with me while not hitting the 30 second skip on their phones. Um, <laughs> the, oh, okay. So the, the fish analogy, you know, I, I love seafood. I love seafood so much. And so I'm not going to order the fish sandwich at McDonald's, but if someone had never had fish in their life, um, the McDonald's fish sandwich might be a good spot to start. Um, would it be, really though? Well, be, if hang with me here, because okay, okay. if you are, if you are a seafood aficionado, uh, and you have an absolute favorite caviar, right? Oh man. You know, this, this caviar is, is delightful, delicious, whatever. Um, most people are going to find that disgusting. It's an, an acquired taste that you really have to work toward to get. Um, same thing with like a, a fine wine, right? Um, sure. And so it's going to be lost on someone if you give them the best right up front. I'm not saying you want to give them the McDonald's fish sandwich necessarily, but take them down to Chili's and get them the uh, the grilled salmon, right? Uh, <laughs> something that's going to have a lot of like spices and oils and flavors to to, um, you know, a company, if we're being generous or overwhelm, really, the taste of the fish itself. Um, and, and then you kind of get your palate used to it so that you can enjoy fish on its own. Yeah, okay, I'm really straining the analogy here, but if we, <laughs> if we kick it back to fantasy, um, let's talk about The Way of Kings. I, again, I, I'll, I adore this book. This is, this is caviar. This is fine dining for a, a real fantasy fan, but it is an acquired taste. You've got to work up to it. Um, it's highly unlikely that you're going to hand somebody the way of Kings who's never read a fantasy book before and, uh, and they're going to pick it up and, and just get sucked in immediately and think that it's the greatest thing in the world. It's possible, but it's highly unlikely. It's better to work them up toward it you know, whether it's through, um, uh, through Patrick Rothfuss or Brent Weeks or other Brandon Sanderson stuff, and then get them up to that caviar stuff. Okay. So all those, those other books you mentioned are the, the chilies or the McDonald's fish sandwich. 
<laughs> if Brent's listening, that is not what I said. That is not what I said. See, I, I, I don't know. I mean, other than, you know, the given that quality is subjective and something that I think personally is the best book that's ever been written, someone else might hate and think sure. is garbage. Uh, I, I kind of disagree with the idea of letting someone build up so they can kind of get their feet wet, appreciate it, and then expand from there. I think there's enough amazing books out there that you could read a perfect book for you and keep reading perfect books from you from then on out. I mean, it's on you to find those perfect books and good luck with that. But I think there's enough out there. Um, so I, I would tend to try to pick the strongest entry point that I thought possible because what what if you don't hook them on the genre? I mean, that's that's fine. There's nothing bad about that. But at that yeah. point, maybe they're not going to try a fantasy book again. Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. I, I'll have to think about that a little bit more. I, I reserve the re- the right to rescind any of my previous opinions from the last five minutes. <laughs> well, no, it's written in stone. It's going to be on the <laughs> airwaves or whatever the kids are calling it these days. So can't take it back. Yeah, no, too bad. But yeah, so I guess that's that's our little dose of terrible analogies and philosophical discussion. <laughs> I guess slightly in another direction, because, you know, these days, a lot of people who might be considering an entry into fantasy, they're not coming in blind to the genre. I mean, even past, you know, orcs and elves, and I heard that that Tolkien guy wrote something one time. You've got shows like The Witcher on Netflix. You've got talk of another Lord of the Rings show coming out, of Wheel of Time. You've got Stranger Things and Game of Thrones. Like, most people are familiar with some element of fantasy through another medium. Yep. Uh, so I guess... What kinds of books would you recommend to them if they're coming off of, say, a popular fantasy story that's not a book? Oh, gosh. Um, well, obviously, you give them a Song of Ice and Fire if they enjoyed the show. <laughs> I mean, that's, and I, well, okay, it, outside of the original books that might have inspired the show. Okay, all right, fine. No, I'm, I'm kind of serious, though. Like, that's, uh, that's good stuff that, uh, that people would enjoy. Okay, so if it's not that... Then um, maybe depending on what they liked about the show, um, I might give somebody who uh, I'm going to go with Jim Butcher. Give him the Dresden Files. Um, and if they if they enjoy. So with something like Game of Thrones, if they watched Game of Thrones on HBO then you know that they they can appreciate some of the fantasy trappings, but you also know that they have patience to um, to see a series through and to keep hanging out with the same characters, right? So give them Jim Butcher. They've got, what is it, like 15 books, 17 books now to, to go through? Yeah, so, yeah, there's, there's plenty. Yeah, there's plenty to go through. Might give them that one or, um, oh, oof. I don't know. You you name one. I'm looking at my shelves while you uh, while you name one, and then I'll okay. come up with something uh, else. I'll go in a slightly different direction. I'll say because probably the show that most people are familiar with, uh, given how popular it was until the final season, uh, is Game of Thrones. I would probably recommend. Let's see, the Inda series by Sherwood Smith. Uh, okay. Have you ever heard of those books? I've heard the name. I have not read them. Okay, so you've got kind of the same. There's a lot of political maneuvering going on. There's a large cast of characters, a little bit of a steep learning curve at first, but the writing is strong enough that you can be hooked pretty quickly and you're willing to trust the author. 
But if someone can handle Game of Thrones, I think they could definitely handle this. It's got, uh, I want to say, a less Western European influence. And it's also, you know, the point where every single character has, like, I don't know, three names. Uh, You've got (laughs) multiple cultures that are interacting with each other. And then you've got... I mean, you've got like your women assassins, you've got your like magical pirates, you've got a little bit of everything, uh, and actually some really competently written horses, uh, which I don't see that much in fantasy, which is kind of surprising. Very nice. Horses. Competently written horses. What does that mean? Uh, horses are not a motorcycle that you put gas in and go until they die and you hop on another horse. There's a little <laughs> bit more to them than that. And I say that as someone who knows very, very little about horses. All right. Well, uh, then your recommendation is worth very little. <laughs> well, I wouldn't call that the number one selling point of the series. Uh, <laughs> but enough. I think it has a lot of crossover appeal for Game of Thrones fans. Uh, and so I guess that would be my recommendation. Outside of some of the more popular series, uh, I figure if you're a fan of Game of Thrones, you have plenty of people in the community that you can talk to about fantasy already. Uh, maybe even like water cooler conversation with your coworkers, right? It was that big of a deal. Yep. Uh, so this is a little bit less known, uh, but it still does have a pretty strong fan base for the people that are familiar with it. Very nice. I like that one. Um, I'll throw out one more. And that is um, if someone, if we're talking about adults, you know, who have watched... Um, yeah, especially I'm going to say Lord of the Rings, right? If you saw the Lord of the Rings movies, you didn't get much more exposure, but you liked those and uh, you're thinking about picking up some fantasy stuff. If this is a person who also enjoys British humor, then Discworld. Uh, give them some Terry Pratchett and yes. uh, watch them fall in love. Yes, although maybe not give them the first published book of Terry maybe Pratchett. Not. Yeah, maybe not. It's, uh, you know, he even said, you know, please don't start with the first one, right? But uh, the beauty of Discworld, honestly, is that uh, you can pop in just about anywhere and have a good time with it. Uh, He's so funny that it doesn't, the the story is almost an afterthought. It's not, you know, the stories are great, but um, they're just, they're just hilarious. And so if if you want to ensure that somebody, especially an adult who's going to get the humor, if you want to ensure that somebody is going to have a good time with fantasy and want to return to it, then give them Terry Pratchett. Yeah. And I, I think I again, this is kind of a recurring theme. I don't remember if it was in this episode or in the episode on the Legendarium that we discussed this, but it's one of those series where it can grow with you as well. Because one, there's just so much and some of the books are targeted at different age ranges. But also, I mean, you've got your surface level story. You've got the humor, which you will understand and appreciate more and more as you know more about the world, have more life experience. The characters are incredible. The world is detailed enough that I think Ankh Morpork was literally like helped designed by an actual city planner. So like everything functions in that city as it should. Nice. Uh, so there's just a lot of meat to dig into. Well, very good. Uh, yeah. Any other recommendations that we need to get off our chests? Um. Well, here here's a little bit of a thought, I guess. What about so we said Game of Thrones was a big introduction for people. What about the Marvel Cinematic Universe? What if someone is only like familiar with fantasy science fiction through that? What would you recommend them? Uh, then then I would probably go drift towards Sanderson in that case. Okay. Um, if all they know is the MCU, 
then you say, oh, you like superhero stuff, maybe try something that is um, superhero adjacent uh, to to dip your elbows into, and uh, that would be the Steelheart series or whatever, the Reckoners series. Ah, um, yep. Those would be a lot of fun for somebody. Uh, or uh, if... What what's the other one? Skyward. I think I mentioned Skyward earlier. Uh, Brandon describes that as how to train your dragon, but with spaceships. Um, <laughs> so okay, that, yeah, that that's that not inaccurate. One. Yeah, and uh, you know, you mentioned Mistborn earlier. There's so if someone likes these comic book heroes with their variety of powers and um, and the inherent weaknesses and strengths that go on with that, and the personal conflicts that come along with all that stuff then um, Brandon's entire oeuvre is really a great way to go. So Mistborn, Reckoners, Skyward, um, Elantris, and Warbreaker, they're all, uh, I'd say, really recommendable to somebody like that. Except, okay, except maybe the Wave Kings. (laughs) Uh, Yes, the episode in which we contradict ourselves. Well, there is that. Yeah, I, I don't know for me. I, I think Sanderson's probably a good recommendation. I guess if they are okay with stories in an audio format, I would recommend, God, there's like, I don't know, 12 superhero-related audio dramas I could recommend. Oh, nice. If they want less of the action side and more of the exploring, like, how would you actually cope with having a power, I would recommend the Bright Sessions. If they want kind of the exploration kind of like Steelheart and the Reckoners. Like, what would you do if, like, people thought you were a villain or if you might go evil? Uh, I would recommend Super Ordinary, where it's all about a girl who has panic attacks and, like, crazy power unleashes, and so she's classified as a villain. If you are not okay with audio, I would probably recommend the Worm web serial by uh, Wildbow or... J.C. McRae, I think is his fancy author name. It's huge and probably I would recommend it cautiously because I think that one quote-unquote book in itself is half the length of the Wheel of Time. Oh my gosh. So that's definitely something I would be very cautious about recommending. But if I thought it would be a good fit, I think it would be a phenomenal fit. I have never been hooked so hard in a book before. I have never found a like general cohesive superhero world where you're wondering hey what about the superheroes in india why are they not helping us out with this world ending event in new york city as well as just being very very well written and compelling very nice i you know you're not the first person to suggest worm to me i didn't know that it was that massive but uh, people had told me before that it was a lot to bite into and i heard about it mostly when I was reading the wheel of time. And so I was like, the last thing I need right now is something like that. Or, you know, people kept saying, Oh, if you like the wheel of time, you should read, um, uh, you should read, uh, what were we just saying? Malazan, uh, you know, <laughs> giant 10 book, completely inscrutable series. And I'm like, no, I, I'm good for a while. Thanks guys. <laughs> yep. I, I can't wait to start Malazan in like 2037. Oh yeah, when you're uh, when you've got the taste for it, uh, something like that. <laughs> okay, <laughs> uh, maybe I missed the joke. I don't know. No, it's just I I don't know. I, I feel like Malazan's the series that everyone talks about and everyone has very strong opinions on, and it's kind of made me want to just like hold off on jumping into it yet. Oh yeah. 
so that nobody will bug you about whether you liked it or not. Yeah, although then I still get bugged the have you read Malazan? Oh boy. Yeah. You're you're preaching to the choir there, man. <laughs> uh yeah. Well, we are starting to get up there in time. Uh so sort of wrapping things up, are there any final thoughts you have on entry points into the genre that you would recommend? Um, no, I think we covered a lot of ground. I will say, I guess I will put one more book out there and this will surprise anybody who listened to this series of podcasts that we put out, but the Farseer trilogy for teenagers. Um, I did not enjoy the first book in that. Um, and I didn't much care for the other two, but the longer I have, uh, the longer those books have sat on my mind, the more I appreciate them and can see how good they would be for a teenager who has uh, some patience, some reading chops, uh, and some good imagination. Um, it's uh, it's a really great uh, it's a it's a really great story for teenagers. The whole boy and his dog thing, and the coming of age, and the confusion, and uh, it, it's. I, I would find it therapeutic in the same way that the teenage version of me loved like Metallica or something that like, you know, brought out my demons or something like the Farseer <laughs> trilogy would do that for me if I were a teenager again. Okay. Interesting. And I, I know I, I actually really enjoyed the trilogy uh, and more so the books that follows. I, I've only read the Live Ship Trader series after that, but it's significantly better in my opinion. Yeah. That's um, what I keep hearing. Yeah, but I, I think it, it's definitely a series I'm somewhat cautious because a lot of times, I mean, every single book in the series has the word assassin in it, but there's very little assassining going on. <sighs> and so I think it's very misleading for a lot of people. It's not a high action stabby stab book, uh, <laughs> so to use the technical term for it. Yes, yes. Um, but I do think that it's Robin Hobb in general... Uh, she's a genius with characterization. You won't always like the characters she creates, but you will feel strongly about them most likely. Yeah. So I, I don't know how you felt with that, but I think that the strength of that's probably the characters for me. No, I totally agree. Um, I was, I was waiting for a story and she just refused to tell one, um, <laughs> especially in that first book, uh, but kind of with the others as well. And in, in a way that's, part of the strength of the book right it's you you just kind of sit in this world and marinate in all this stuff um and so for some people i think that's going to be absolutely perfect i went in with certain expectations and they were um they were very very much not met and so i think that's the root of my problem with the book and i would like at some point to go back and read it again with the correct expectations uh but even with that being said if i were confronted with a younger reader, uh, somebody who was maybe a little bit moody or felt like, you know, they had <laughs> real problems, then you give them Assassin's Apprentice for sure. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that. Um, well, for me, I think in general, my takeaway is uh, my recommendations would always kind of depend on the situation. Uh, why am I recommending something to someone? How do I know them? What do I think they might like? Uh, and I would probably tweak that from there. I, if I didn't have a lot of information to go on, I'd probably go to one of the stories that we've discussed here. Uh, otherwise, you know, I might go down the rabbit hole and try to pick the perfect story for them that's going to sell them on fantasy and they'll never stop reading it. 
Yep. No, absolutely. I think it's in- incredibly important to tailor it to your audience. I was, I was, uh, confronted with this very situation with some friends of mine, a husband and wife who had heard of Sanderson. They saw a bunch of his books on my shelf and and they said, who is this guy? And you know, should we be reading him? And I said, absolutely. Welcome to my Ted talk. (laughs) They said, what should we read? And I kind of, I knew him well enough to hand him Mistborn and say, you know, this one's got a lot of great action, kind of a superhero style thing. Um, And then his wife, I gave his wife Elantris and said, you know, because she's much more about like people and I knew she would enjoy the characters and their inner journeys and all of that stuff. So I said, give it, give Elantris a try. And I freaking nailed it. They both loved them. <laughs> um, and, uh, and then they, they both tried to read the other book and, uh, they both said that uh, the initial recommendation was the correct one. So I won, I won that game. That, that is like the peak of fantasy reader experience right there is, or really probably book reader in general is to be able to have that perfect recommendation for someone. Oh, I know it's a, it's a unicorn. I've only ever caught it once (laughs) and uh, (laughs) I'm going to cherish that memory forever. I I guess I should say, I think my one unicorn moment like that, my cousin asked me, Hey, like you read a lot of fantasy books. What would you recommend for me? And he wouldn't tell me anything about what he was looking for. So I actually just went for Sinlin Ascends by Josiah Bancroft. Are you familiar with the book? Familiar, yeah. Okay. So I it basically I told him, hey, it's like a steampunk Dante's Inferno gets pretty weird, but by the end, you'll probably love it if you make it that far. And uh, he said, man, like a week later, these are my favorite books of all time, and I've binged all three. Wow. Nice. In a week. In a week, yeah. So I, I think he had a decent commute, and he blew through the audiobooks. Nice. Nice. Well, I I think that about wraps up our episode. Uh, So thanks for coming on the podcast, Craig. It's been a pleasure. Uh, This, again, is part two of a two-part series on entry points into fantasy or genre fiction or uh, SFF or speculative fiction, however you want to call it. Um, So part one, again, on the Legendarium. If for some reason you're listening to this first, go back, check it out. If you've been living under a rock, you might not have heard of them, but great podcast, highly recommend it. Start with this episode because I think you will find our stories about entry points into fantasy relevant to this conversation. Um, And on that note, I think that's a wrap. Cheers, Travis. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for stopping by, Craig. If you enjoyed this episode, consider supporting us on Patreon, taking a moment to rate us in your podcast app, or sharing the episode on social media. As always, you can find us online at thefantasyn.com and on Twitter and Instagram at thefantasyn. Or, you know, just hang out with us in our Discord server, which you can find through our blog or in the show notes. That's all for this week. Until next time.